Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. We hope you enjoy this week's message. There's a beautiful passage in the New Testament letter to the Ephesians that captures the desire of God to bless us. Paul writes, all praise to God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. I mean, this is just beautiful and profound. All praise to God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. So, uh, sounds beautiful, but understandably you may say spiritual blessings. That's great. But what about every other area of my life? So we have all these spiritual blessings that are ours in the heavenly realm. What about all the other areas of my life? It's like the story of the angel who appeared to a guy and said, I will grant you whichever of three blessings you choose, wisdom, beauty, or money. And the guy immediately chose wisdom. And then there was a flash of lightning and boom, he was transformed into a man of great wisdom. And one of his friends who was there and who had witnessed this said, now you're full of wisdom, please say something. And the guy ducked his head and said, now in his newfound wisdom, I wish I had chosen the money. (laughs) The fact is, though, that we all know that taking the money would not have been wise. We know that if given a choice, spiritual blessings are infinitely more important than material blessings. Spiritual blessings are given to us by God through his spirit. Spiritual blessings include things like peace with God, peace in our hearts, peace with others, a deep sense of meaning and purpose, and most importantly, of course, eternal life. But having said that, there is every reason to believe that spiritual blessings do in fact affect every area of our lives. So, Let's talk about some passages of Scripture where, where, where this works. So, for instance, it's well known that Jesus said that we shouldn't focus on or worry about material things. There's this great teaching he offers where he says, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. But then he turns right around and says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So on one hand, he's saying, don't focus on, don't worry on about material things, but if you focus on spiritual things, all these things will be added to you. It's a matter of priority. He also made a connection between spiritual wealth and material wealth when he said in Luke's gospel, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Again, he emphasized the primacy of true riches, which is so much more than money, 
while at the same time acknowledging the importance of material blessings, or even in this instance, perhaps even wealth. If you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with what's even better, which are true riches? The Apostle Paul strikes this balance beautifully. When he wrote to Timothy in his first letter to Timothy, he said, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them. Who's he writing to now? Those who are rich in this world. By the way, I know many of you just said, well, that's probably somebody else in this room, but that's not me. But the reality is that nearly, in fact, I would say probably every one of us in this room is richer in material things than most other people who've ever lived in history and uh, most people who live anywhere else in the world. So this, in fact, does apply to most of us. Command those who are rich in this present world, I'll read it again, not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. On one hand, he says, don't make it about the money. And on the other hand, he says, but God's the one who has richly provided you with what you have for your enjoyment. It's not, in fact, an either or, or a choice to be made as much as it is a matter of priority. He goes on to say, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So again, he teaches us that while material blessings are not what life is truly about, that God provides us with good things to enjoy nevertheless. And I think that Paul captured this idea uh, maybe even better when he uh, was receiving an offering from people who lived in Corinth in the first century and he, he, he was talking about them making sacrifices for a cause greater than themselves. And in that context, he said, God can bless you with everything you need, and you will always have more than enough to do all kinds of good things for others. You will be blessed in every way. I mean, what does blessed in every way mean? It's self-explanatory, isn't it? You will be blessed in every way, and you will be able to keep on being generous. So he's saying again, if you, if you keep God's work, spiritual things, as your priority, God will bless you in every way. So we should live with an awareness that God wants to bless us with every spiritual blessing, and that spiritual blessings will leak out into every area of our life. We should expect to be blessed materially and in every other way, in ways that advance the infinitely more important spiritual aspects of our lives. We should expect to be enriched in ways that help us accomplish our God-given purpose. 
As John wrote in his third letter, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So do you see that? We have all spiritual blessings. That's that and spiritual reality and our calling and eternal values. That's true life. The blessings that come in that realm are are. Uh, spiritual blessings and cause us to be truly rich but there is linkage when we get that part right about that and blessings in every other area of our life so we should establish and we should remind ourselves if you've been tracking with me the last couple weeks that it's the very nature of God to want to bless us Jesus, uh, in one instance, was talking about uh, how the heart of God is to bless us, and he said, which of you, if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Which of you, if your son would ask for fish, would give him a snake? And then he said, if you then, even though you're just human beings capable of doing evil things, if you then know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven then give good gifts to those who ask him? We should live with an expectation that the Father wants to bless us in every way. The last two weeks I've talked about a blessing definitionally by saying to be blessed is to be in harmonious relationship with God who is for you and is doing good in you and to you and through you. So we're living with this expectation that when we're in harmonious relationship with God, that God is, if you please, standing in the heavenly realm, wanting to give us all kinds of good things. Now, what I want to focus on today, then, is this. We must now learn how to receive those blessings. So that's what I said that I was going to talk about today. We need to learn to receive the good gifts that God wants to give us. And I think part of this is to assume that there are blessings available to us in the heavenly realms. According to the passage I opened with today, there are blessings available to us in the heavenly realms that we have not yet received. Things God wants to give us that we have not yet received. There's a a parable told by Bruce Wilkinson about a guy named Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones dies and goes to heaven. And when he gets there, again, it's a parable. He's met by Simon Peter at the gate. And Simon Peter gives this guy a tour of heaven. And there amidst all the splendor, he notices a a, a building that's kind of out of character with all the other architecture he's seeing, if you please. And it, it appears to be a huge windowless warehouse stretching out into forever. And he says to Simon Peter, what's in there? And Peter says, you don't want to know. And they continue the tour. Well, at the end of the tour, this guy is so persistent that finally Simon Peter takes this guy through the, through the one doorway into this, in fact, warehouse. Uh, there, are row af- there is row after row of shelves 
floor to ceiling, and all of them have on them uh, white boxes wrapped in red ribbon, and uh, Mr. Jones notices that each box has someone's name on it, and he says to Simon Peter, is there one of these with my name on it? And Peter says, you don't want to know. Well, the guy goes running to row J to find the box for Mr. Jones, and when Peter catches up with him, the guy's already got the box on the shelf, it's on the ground, he's undoing the red ribbon, and he's looking inside the box, and Simon Peter sees that this guy has the same recognition and kind of sad sigh that so many others before him have, because there in that box were all the blessings that God had wanted to give this guy, but that this guy hadn't learned how to ask for and to receive. Again, it's a parable, but the fact is, theologically, I think in the whole of Scripture, it's an apt parable because there exist for us in the spiritual realm all kinds of spiritual blessings, or there exists for us, we're told, in the heavenly realm, all kinds of spiritual blessings that God wants to give us. And we should assume that we haven't even begun to receive all the good things that God wants us to have. So I experienced a significant breakthrough in my life many years ago and the way I would describe it is, is that I came to understand that just as much as I had been taught to practice cheerful giving, that I also needed to practice what I'll call cheerful receiving. So uh, my parents thankfully taught me from the time I received my first allowance to be a tither and a giver. And by the time I was a young adult, this was a big part of my life. And I had experienced the joy that Jesus said would be ours when we give. He said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I loved, frankly, giving. Giving makes you feel good. And I'm not just talking about finances. Uh, that's a small part of it. I'm talking about just giving, giving your time, giving of yourself to others, making sacrifices for people, a cause, etc. And I, I very much, I had this ingrained as a part of me, again, thanks to the teaching of my parents. Well, I felt blessed when I gave, but on the other hand, when good things came to me, when good things were given to me, I felt um, a difficulty in, in receiving them. The, I felt bad when I felt good. I felt unworthy. I felt almost guilty when good things happened to me. And this, this came to a head for me uh, after I met Sharon, uh, who is, who is uh, my wife now for 36 years, if I'm counting correctly, and she was sitting here listening to me tell this today. I'd never told this story publicly before, but this is, this is, uh, this is what happened. I met this beautiful girl uh, when I went to uh, visit a friend in college. I was stupid enough after I saw her to say to someone I later learned was her brother-in-law, I'm going to marry that girl. And... Um, <laughs> I was completely smitten, and as our relationship went forward over the next couple of years, I found myself uh, 
very much in love and very much wanting to uh, marry her, but I was having a very private struggle. I'm sure I shared it with some people close to me that may sound odd to you, but I felt guilty that I felt so good about this maybe blessing that God had brought into my life. Is it all right for me to love someone this much? Is it all right for me to want to spend this much time with her? Is this, is it, is it, you know, surely God doesn't want me to be this happy. See, this was part of the manifestation of a, of a grace versus works conflict in my life. I had been raised by, uh, in, in, a, in a legalistic church uh, culture that was all about the works side of things. You have to, you, 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 almost, you almost, if you don't feel bad, something's wrong. If you're not, you know, suffering terribly, well, something's wrong. If something good happens to you, just get ready. Something bad's coming. And, 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 and there's this, this clenched fist, gritted teeth, I got to get good enough for God mentality that happens in legalistic church cultures. And man, they're all over the place. That, that when, for me at least, when something really beautiful and profound was happening in my life, I actually felt bad that I felt good. Well, I'm having this conflict and I, I come across a passage of scripture that I read many times, it heard many times, it's something that most of you would have heard many times, but I saw it in a new light. Now this passage I'm about to read is about, it's back to 2 Corinthians 9 where Paul's receiving an offering. So, so this has to be understood clearly in terms of, of someone giving financially and, and God wanting to bless that person. But for me, this became a lens through which I started seeing the whole issue of giving and receiving, not just money, but everything in my life. In this case, this was about a blessing that God had brought into my life in the form of the woman who became my wife and has been my wife for 36 years that I almost didn't receive because I felt bad about how good I felt about what God was giving me. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Notice there are two things that are happening in this passage. There's what God's calling us to do, but then if we do it, there's God doing in our lives what he really wants to do, okay? Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for, here's that famous line, God loves a cheerful giver. Now, you may have heard someone say that the word cheerful here comes from a Greek word which is hilarious. It's the word from which we get our English word hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. I mean, that tells you what our attitude should be when we give. We should be cheerful givers. But then notice, let me read it now with the next immediate pivot to receiving God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having 
all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And then a few verses later it says, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. So notice again the order of priority. The the priority is doing God's work, being caught up in his purpose, thinking about things besides yourselves, focused on spiritual things, if you please, all right? So let's acknowledge that that's absolutely paramount. However, again, when we do this, in this case, when we sacrifice for God's cause through giving, and when we do it cheerfully, it immediately pivots to say, and God is able to bless you abundantly again let's just look at the passage here in the middle god loves a cheerful giver and god is able to bless you abundantly and you will have everything that you need so that you can continue to do what god has called you to do and then it says in the niv you will be made rich in every way most translations say it i think more appropriately when it when it says you will be enriched in every way okay so so all of a sudden as i was going through this angst in my life let me come back to that It's as if God said to me, Terry, you have learned to be a cheerful giver. Now, I want to bless you abundantly, and I want you to learn now to be a cheerful receiver. When I learn to cheerfully receive, the blessings that God wants to give me, I help God fulfill something that is essential to his very being. I've talked about it in a very theological, biblical sense over the last two weeks. From the very beginning of time, the very first thing God said to human beings is that he blessed them and then he gave them their purpose. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. I've tried to lay out a picture for you as to how much God wants to bless us. And I'm going to tell you that we do, if you please, God, a tremendous disservice when we don't let him. When we somehow don't expect it. When we feel, in my case, guilty because I was so blessed. What is God saying? Is he saying, oh, that's good. I'm glad you feel guilty. You know, you know, feel bad that you feel. No, he's not saying it. He said, Terry, I want you to learn how to be a cheerful receiver. And that's probably 38 years ago that I was going through that season in my life. And it seems like I should preach about it more, actually. I haven't preached about it for a long, long time. Uh, but the fact is, that was a breakthrough moment in my life around the subject of grace and understanding how much God wanted to bless me. See, If you cooperate with God, which I'll talk about in more length here in just a moment, you had better be prepared to be on the receiving side of God's desire to bless you. And I would maintain that if you're not, it really disappoints him. See, typically we talk about how disappointed he is if we're not cheerful givers. And he is. But if you got that part figured out, I'm going to tell you he's disappointed in you if you're not a cheerful receiver. 
because God's up there saying, I want to bless you. I want to bless you. I want to bless you. I have every spiritual blessing here ready for you in the heavenly realm. I want to bless you in every way. I want to bless you abundantly so that you can do the things I called you to do. I want to bless you. I want to bless you. I want to bless you. And if we don't learn how to live receiving the blessings God wants to give us, I think we disappoint him. Look, look, what did Jesus say in Luke 6? He said, give and it will be given to you. Guys, it so happens that scriptures about giving and receiving financially speak, I think, better to this bigger point than others that I could find this week. But this is not a, intended to be a sermon about giving financially. It's, it's, it's intended to be a sermon about a whole uh, scope of things that concern how to get ourselves in alignment with God so that God can bless us in the way that he wants to. And so you see passages like this, they're powerful. Uh, Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you again. Jesus is talking to people who clearly uh, understand uh, agriculture, and, and one of the most common forms of currency in the time of Christ were the giving or paying off things with agricultural uh, uh, products. And in this case, he's obviously referring to grain. And, and he's, saying, he's saying this, if you give, it'll be given to you, and it's going to be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. You have to imagine, if you please, a large basket, and God says, oh, you, 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 you gave? You're a cheerful giver? Ha <laughs> ha, good. And he says, I'm going to now put something that I'm going to give back to you, and I'm going to do it in good measure. Because with the measure that you choose, I'm going to measure it back to you. You gave me much? Here, I can even give you more. And you have to imagine this shovel being of grain being put into a basket. But then God looks at the basket and, and, and he shakes it so that the grain will go down a little bit more in the basket. And then... He presses it down. Oh, there's more room in the basket. And God puts more in. And then he looks at it. He shakes it again. He presses it down. There's a little bit more room. He takes the shovel. He puts the grain on. Now it's running over. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. Running over. And Jesus says, will God give into your lap? And in that time, people would wear robes. Men would wear robes in particular that they would sometimes use to carry something. For instance, like grain where they'd take the robe and they'd put it up like this where it made a great big pocket. And now we've taken this good measure, pressed down, shaken together thing, poured it over into the person's, the, the folds of their robe or their lap, or the King James says their bosom, and now it's pouring out every place as they're trying to figure out how to contain all this stuff that God has poured into them. That's what Jesus said God wants to do for people. He wants to give them that kind of stuff. It's like Her Herbert uh, Lockyer, a, a, a wonderful theologian, uh, offered a, a, a simple little parable. He said, I don't know what I'm into all the parables about today, but nonetheless, he said uh, th there was a farmer who uh, was a giver, 
And it seemed like the more he gave, the more he had. And he had friends around him who didn't understand that. And one of them came to him one day and said, how is it that you give more than any of us and you have more than any of us? And the guy, the farmer said, it's very simple. He said, it's as if I, I take a shovel and I, I, I shovel into God's bin and then God takes a shovel and he shovels into my bin and God has a bigger shovel. See, we have to understand the heart of God is to find opportunities to bless us in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing realities in our lives. My life has been so filled with this every kind of blessing thing that I, I, could, I could tell stories, you don't doubt me in this, for a long time. Uh, here, here's, here's one example of, of it's like, okay, you give something, you're not even thinking about if anything's ever going to come back because then your motives are messed up. You don't want to be doing that. You give because it's the right thing to do. You feel called to do it. And then, but God's in saying, oh, this is great. I get an opportunity now because you gave. I'm going to measure it to you the way you know. Okay. So years ago, um, when we had our first uh, campaign around raising money to buy a building as, as, at TLCC, uh, I knew that I wanted to give something significant. And the reality is that Sharon and I, early and still relatively early in our, in our marriage and early in our pastorate here, we f simply didn't have, didn't have much money. But when I was a 16-year-old kid, uh, a guy took me to a music store and bought me a Fender Stratocaster guitar. Now, you may not know this, but uh, probably don't know this. I never talk about this. I was a musician and a songwriter, and my sister and I traveled around the country and sang, and we made an album, and so on and so forth. I also had hair. I mean, there are a lot of things you don't know about me. But anyway, this guy heard us sing, and he wanted me to have a beautiful, he just felt impressed to give me a beautiful guitar. So he takes me to this music store, and he buys me a Fender Stratocaster guitar, fantastic, exquisite electric guitar. I really like that guitar. Well, fast forward now, you know, probably 14 years, we're doing this campaign around the building, and, and all of a sudden, it hits me. I don't have very much money, but I have this thing of value. And, and I decided to sell the guitar and take the money and give it. Well, I, I, there was, you know, a lot of people in our church made a lot of sacrifices, and we were able to buy our first building at 106. And I didn't think anything more about that. I felt great that I had given. That's how you feel when you give, right? I felt fantastic. It was a reward in of itself. Well, now fast forward another, I don't know, 10, 12 years, and my oldest son, Caleb, who now lives in Los Angeles, uh, my oldest son, Caleb, had developed a love for music, which he still has and uses in his profession. And uh, he um, uh, particularly became a really great guitarist, even in his early teenage years, better than I ever was. Well, I had an acoustic guitar that I let him use. It wasn't a very good one, frankly. And I'll have to tell you, there were times when I'd see him banging away on that guitar that I thought, wow, wouldn't it have been nice to have been able to give my son my Fender Stratocaster guitar? All right? I'm just being honest here, right? But I didn't regret it. I'm just telling you the thought 
crossed my mind. And lo and behold, a guy came to our church, he didn't know any of the story I just told, who came up to my son one day and me, and he said, as a profession, I am a custom electric guitar maker. I make exquisite instruments. And I feel strongly impressed that I want to make a guitar. He came and said it to me first. For your son, Caleb, would it be okay if I talk to him about it? And lo and behold, in fact, he makes a custom-made guitar for my son much, much better than a Fender Stratocaster car could ever be. And in my son's apartment in Los Angeles, which he's used it to write scores for movies and other things, sits that beautiful guitar to this day. What happens? I do a simple thing. I gave something that was of value to me. And it's like God is waiting, waiting for an opportunity to come back and say, you gave that? <laughs> Great. Now I get to give you this. And this is always more than that. Now, it's easier. The fact is, most of the stories of blessings that have come in my life would not be about material things. It would be about spiritual things. What's the greatest blessings in my life? My family. And the fact is, I don't mean to patronize you, you. I mean, you know, you are, after 27 years of doing this here, you are cumulatively one of the great blessings that have come into my life. But it seems sometimes easier to tell the story and explain it about the guitar rather than to tell the story about the more mystical things that happen. So the point isn't the material thing. The point is the material thing illustrates something bigger about all of our lives, which is God standing, if you please, in heaven, which probably isn't how it's literally happening, but he's standing in heaven saying, look at all these things I have to give you Give me an opportunity, please, to bless you. All right, let me start to wrap this up. Don't get too excited. The wrap-up will take just a moment or two. Give me 45 minutes. I'm going to nail this thing. So here's my, my final point under which I'll make three other final points. It's that we now must align ourselves with God's good intentions. Okay, how are we gonna learn how to receive? Here's, here's my short answer to that. We must align ourselves with God's good intentions. Let me build a little paragraph with three sentences here that, that will hopefully give you something worthwhile to go home with. So the first sentence is this. God wants to bless you because God wants to bless you. Okay, it's very important that we see this this act of giving and receiving, not from a works perspective, but from a grace perspective, okay? Let me dig into that for a moment. So it's important, essential, that we always remember that God wants to bless us out of his grace. It's because he wants to. It's because his, it's his choice. None of us are ever good enough. None of us ever do enough good to earn God's blessings, even at our very best. We do not deserve the favor of a holy God. He blesses us because he wants to bless us. There's a doctrine in theology called the doctrine of prevenient grace the doctrine of prevenient grace. And the doctrine of prevenient grace says that before a man can seek for God, God must first seek for the man. So we may say when we're giving our testimony to someone that we found God, 
And it's fine to say that, but the reality is we only find God because he was looking for us. Right? We, in fact, really, he came to seek and save the lost, so if we got found, it was God doing the finding. It's, it's a nuance. It's, a, it's hair splitting. I understand, but it's, import, it's really important to understand our relationship with God like this. If, if, if something good happens in our lives, God got there first. He's the causer. He's the initiator. He's the one who is at the origin of the good thing that happens to us. This is, this is true as it regards any good thing that we do. We do good because God caused us to want to. And he helps us to actually do the good thing that he caused us to want to do. Philippians 2.13 tells us it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So in other words, if you've done something good... It's because, and this is as it concerns God's good purposes, if you've done something good in the context of God's good purposes, it's because he caused you to want to do it, to decide to do it, and to act in doing it. So let's just say, for instance, who's the hero of the story of the guitar I told a few minutes ago? I gave the guitar. But am I the hero of the story? It's important that we understand who the hero of the story is. The hero is God who caused me to want to give it, who helped me decide to do it, and who gave me the ability to do it. Which is why when I tell the end of the story, which is look at the guitar that somebody made for my son, it's important then that in my own mind I don't pat myself in the back and say, good for you, you cheerful giver. You're a cheerful giver, now you can be a cheerful receiver. No, God always gets the credit because even my doing good originates with God. He caused me to want to do good, decide to do good, and to actually do good. This is why people of true Christian faith who understand grace cannot be prideful in the good things that happen to us because we know the source is always God. It's not a quid pro quo thing. I do these five things and God's going to do seven back. There, there's, 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 you can read scripture sometime, and if you don't understand the bigger picture, you might think about it that way. I'm saying, if you do five good things, it's God's grace that you did five good things, because God wanted you to do five good things, and one of the reasons that he wanted you to do the five good things is because when you cooperate with him in doing the five good things, God can do ten good things back. Okay? But he always gets the credit. It comes by his choice. All right, here's the second part. So God blesses us because he wants to bless us, but we must align ourselves with God's good intentions. We must align ourselves with God's good intention. Now it's gonna sound like I'm gonna disagree with what I just said. Again, it's nuanced. But it's important. You know, if you're going to come and listen to me teach, I'm going to try to not just give you the superficial view of things. I'm going to try to dig a little deeper so that we, we're thinking right about God and, and, and Christianity. And so, so now, even though God blesses us out of his own choice, he still asks us to cooperate with him so that we can be in a position to receive his blessings. 
All right, if you're a New York Jets fan, think Sam Darnold, the cornerback. If you're a New York Giants fan, think Danny Dimes, Daniel Jones. How quickly poor Eli fades in from our memories. But nonetheless, the quarterback is in the huddle, and the quarterback says to the receiver, I want to throw you the ball. I want to throw you the ball. I want to throw you the ball. That's my heart. That's what I want to do. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Because now the receiver has to actually run a route that puts him in a position to be able to receive what the quarterback wants to do. Do you get the point? The fact that God wants to bless us isn't the end of the story. Now we have to, by his grace, get in a place where we can receive what it's already in God's heart to do. We cooperate with him so that we are more, if you please, blessable. That doesn't mean we earn the blessing, right? It just means we're cooperating with a God who wants to bless us and says, listen, there are things I want to do for you, but in order for me to do this for you, you need to get in alignment with my good intentions. Here's a principle you find in Deuteronomy 28. Now, these words are written specifically to uh, 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 the, the, the children of Israel as they're in the wilderness and the covenant that God is making with Moses. But I think we can make application at least of the spirit of this because these were Abraham's children now, right? And we're told in Galatians 3 that the blessings of Abraham are ours through Jesus Christ. So, so there's some linkage here, all right? Though I don't think God's major concern with us is about material things. Please hear me. Nonetheless, there's, I've already made my point about that. I won't go back and re-preach the first part of the sermon for which you can be thankful. That's God's grace. But having said that, check out Deuteronomy 28. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, this is Moses speaking, all these blessings will come on you and accompany you. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on your bank accounts and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you if... You keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity. The Lord will open the heavens. Everybody please say, open the heavens. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, where all these spiritual blessings are ours in the heavenly realm that perhaps we haven't yet received. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the works of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top and never at the bottom. Please hear the voice of God. Here's the voice of God. 
I want to bless you. 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 Now, give me an opportunity to bless you. Please, please, please listen to me because I'm going to tell you some things that if you'll pay attention and cooperate with me, will put you in a position for me to, to give you what it is I'm wanting to give you and for you to receive what it is I'm wanting to give you. So many times in scripture, God in his grace tells us things that we need to do in order for him to do what he so desperately wants to do. So he says, for instance, I want to forgive you. I want to forgive you for your sins. But that's not the end of the story. He says, if I'm going to forgive you for your sins, you have to confess your sins. And you have to forgive people who've done harm to you. Now what happens if you don't confess your sins as much as God wants to forgive you? He can't. If you don't forgive people who've harmed you, guess what? You're not in a position for God to give you the blessing he so much wants to give you. So he says, I want to bless you, I want to bless you, I want to bless you. Now, align yourself with my good intentions. Or, or God says, uh, I, I want to answer your prayers. Over and over we're told in Scripture, God wants to answer our prayers. But he says, also, if you, if you want me to answer your prayers, you have to pray. <laughs> right? It's like, duh. He says, you have not because you ask not. And then he says, sometimes when you ask, you ask with wrong motives. So don't, even pray, don't only pray, but pray in a way that's in alignment with my will. Why, God? Why do you want us to do it? Listen, this is what God says. Because I want to bless you. 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 Ask me, because I want to bless you. Or God says, I want to bless your children. I want to bless your children. But then he says, I need you to work with me here, though. I need you to teach them in a way that they won't walk away from relationship with me. What, 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 what does the proverb say? Raise up a child in the way they should go and they won't depart from it. So God says, I want to bless your children, but we need to work together here. I need you to teach your children in a way that will help them be blessable. Do, do you guys get the point or do I need to go another half hour? He wants to bless you, but you have to align yourself to his good intentions. Last you know, my last thought will be very brief, so this is the last thought before my last thought. It's this, that I believe that many of us live in a way where we rob God of the opportunity to bless us. So there's this great passage in Malachi. It's the last prophecy of the Old Testament. It's offered in the context of what's about to happen through Jesus, which is why, though my point isn't to make a point about tithes and offerings, it is by the way, one reason that this particular passage is so important as it concerns tithes and offerings because it's written in a context of prophecy to people who are going to live in a New Testament reality. Okay, enough about that. Now here's this verse where, where, where uh, God says, will a man rob God? Now, typically, when I read this passage, you know, once every year or two, and I do a, a full teaching on the subject of tithing, and I'll read this passage because I think it's a really important one, 
I typically, just to be frank, I don't read the first verse. I jump into it a little later because I always emphasize the, 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 what we're, how we're supposed to test God and he'll open the winds of heaven. And I always emphasize the blessing part. And I, you know, I'm a positive guy, so I don't, I'd rather not read the, 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 the negative part. But, the, the, but, but now, let's read this in proper context. God says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And God says, in tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not, now hear the heart of God. This is what God's trying to get to here. What does God want? See if I won't open the windows of heaven and all that stuff up there that's potentially yours, I am able to pour out for you such a blessing that there won't even be room for you to contain it. It's not just good measure pressed down, running over, poured into your lap, but it's heaven opening and showers of blessings becoming yours. Now, you say, what? What is this rob God? Like, so does God have a cash flow problem? Is he a televangelist begging for money? How does somebody rob God? You've probably already jumped to the point because it's pretty obvious. We rob God when we rob him of the opportunity to bless us in the way he wants to bless us. And when we don't align ourselves in a way that is in cooperation with God, then he can't do for us what he wants to do. So again, you want to be forgiven? Don't rob God of the opportunity to forgive you. Confess your sins and forgive other people. If you don't do that, you've robbed God of the opportunity to forgive you. He wants to forgive you. You, 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 you want your prayers answered? Okay, don't rob God of the opportunity to answer your prayers. Ask <laughs> and you shall receive. God's up there saying, please pray, 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 pray. Why? Because God gets a kick out of you, you know, taking 10 minutes of your day to pray and somehow or another you've done a good work and you get a heavenly brownie. No, 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 no. God's up there saying, Here, you gotta, this is where it starts with God. I want to answer your prayers. 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 Please, let me answer your prayers. Okay, okay. What, what, so, okay, what, what happens next? God says, pray, 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 pray. Praise not first. Praise just how we cooperate with God's good intentions in our lives. We want to be blessed financially. Well, well. God says, you want to be blessed financially, then you, 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 have to, you have to put me first and you have to be generous and, and then you, I get to do what I want to do in your life. Don't rob me of the opportunity to bless you. And the last part of the paragraph is then we live in expectation of windows of heaven blessing. This is how I hope to send all of you wonderful people off today. I hope to send you off, you hearing these words in your head. God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you. God wants to open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings on you. We should live 
in expectation. We should open our lives to receive. We should expect, what did Jesus say? Therefore, whatever you pray for, believe that you receive it and you will have it. So today, we open our hearts, we open our hands, we open our minds, we confess our faith, and we believe that we receive the blessings that God wants to bring in our lives.